During her years on the bench, Judge Gillian Hussey has looked into the faces of killers and abusers. She's helped convict many of the people who came before her. But she's also given many others a second chance for which they will always be in her debt. In her just published book, Lessons from the Bench, Reflections on a Career Spent in Ireland's Criminal Courts, Gillian Hussey looks back on an extraordinary life on the bench. And she's here with me this morning. Good morning, Gillian Hussey and welcome. Good morning, Miriam. Thanks so much for Thank being here. Thank you for here. having me. Oh, my privilege. Look, we're going to chat about your extraordinary career on the bench shortly. But first, let's go back a little. You were an only child. How do you think that affected or shaped you? It had a lot to do in shaping me. But I didn't know this until I was 84. <laughs> and I thought most of my learning had come to an end well, before that, in fact, but I, fortunately enough, I have a relatively open mind and I have a, w- a wonderful, wonderful ghostwriter. And this book wouldn't be here without her. But she taught me so much about myself, which I found fascinating. Mm. Not terribly pleasant at times, but fascinating. <laughs> and the only child? The only child was because my father was very strict. And I have no regrets about my father being very strict, but I had a strange childhood because most people in those days had five, six, ten, fifteen kids and I had nobody. And if you think of Christmas Day, for instance, and as as we got older and my parents got older and I got older, my parents had, we had our Christmas dinner and they fell asleep. So I had Christmas Day on my own. This sort of thing. You don't know, you don't think of these sort of things. But at 84, I began to think of these sort of things. And uh, my father wanted the best for me. Uh, the best that he felt he could, he could provide. And in fact, uh, I was going to do my BMOS until I got sick just before I did my leaving cert. And in those days, the doctor came to the house and he said, what was I going to do? And my mother told him and he said, don't be ridiculous. A music degree you wanted yes. to do, yeah. Uh, tell her, tell her to do law. She has an uncle, a solicitor. And I wasn't the most biddable child, but I did law. <laughs> How did it come about that you became a judge? <laughs> I actually met a solicitor accidentally in Herbert Street. I used to work in, near Herbert Street in the daytime. And I met him and he said to me, oh, they're looking for a woman judge in the district court. And I said, well, so what? He said, why wouldn't you apply? And I said, what? I thought very little about it. But when I think back about it, there were very few women. There was only one or two other women who did court work like I did. And I went home and I told my kids, my kids were in early teens at that stage. And they said, well, why wouldn't you go for it? like any teenager. And, of course, I had to get a young solicitor friend of mine who unfortunately died many years ago uh, to do my CV. Then I uh, I phoned Gemma Hussey. Now, Gemma was married to my first cousin and she was then the Minister for Education. So I phoned her. Now, I wouldn't know Gemma well at all but anyhow, I phoned Gemma and told her that I'd applied for this. And about six weeks later, Gemma rang me. 
and she said, uh, you're going to be appointed with two men. You, in your wonderful book, this memoir, accept that, but for the fact that you knew Gemma Hussey, you mightn't have ever become a I judge. I am quite certain, and it's even more certain today. That doesn't mean you didn't go on to be a superb judge, but you accept you mightn't have got there without I know, that. I know I'd had, I had political background. Now, when you first went down to the district courts, tell me what that experience was like. And, and for those not familiar with district courts, how are they different, say, from the higher courts? They're so different. Uh, and a funny, I was just thinking of there the other day because I was asking because of various questions I've been asked in, in recent times when I was apprenticed to my uncle he acted a lot for, for cattle dealers and people like that in Dublin and one day I was sent down to the cattle market down off the North Circular Road uh, to get some paper signed there was an auction going on that's what the district court is like, yeah. a cattle market, by comparison with the higher courts. Did you feel very sorry a lot of the time for some of the people who came before you? I, th- I think you said in relation, we'll come to the hardened criminals in a moment, but that some young men, you, you hoped you could help turn their lives around. But they were, the, they were actually the main people. Uh, let's put it the other way. The hardened criminals I dealt with and goodbye. Mm. They're, they have a different agenda. But there were so many young people and I found without the probation service I could never, never have done my job. Mm. They were amazing. And I went down about three weeks after I, my, my first time in the session in the Bridewell. I saw this quite a, an attractive young man well-dressed and so on, in the dock. And something crossed my mind and I said, you know, if that was my son or my grandson, Mm. what would he expect the judge to know about me? And I thought, but sure, I don't know anything about him. So down I went afterwards to this probation officer. And and she's still very, very friendly with me. And she taught me, and some of her colleagues taught me so, so much. And they brought me up to meet John Lonigan in the prison. And I used to go quite frequently up to the prison to meet him and to have a chat and to meet the prisoners. Uh, I, when I look back at it, they, they accepted me. So if you could, Gillian, you would avoid sending young men like that to prison. You would have tried to avoid well, doing yes, that. And I, I hate to say it, I, I'm still giving out about it. Nothing, nothing very much has happened. But an awful lot of this... This, these young uh, people were in a desperate situation at home. Mm. You also tell a lovely story in the memoir about a priest telling you in the inner city that when he does baptisms for some right. little children that you could nearly put the number of their prison cell on their yeah. foreheads yeah. that early on in their life. That Yes. Uh, that priest worked in Dublin in, in, in uh, near Store Street. That was Father Paul Lavelle. Oh, he's a great priest. He was a great priest, mm. great, and a great friend, great mm. friend. But it was interesting because I hadn't a notion what he meant when he said that. I was just about appointed, I think, at the time. 
but I really didn't understand what he meant. And I do now. Which is terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. Mm. It's dreadful. You know, I mean, you have children, I have children. None of us would like to think that that was what was going to happen to them. Now, Phil Ninnis came before you, he isn't did. this correct, charged with <laughs> drug possession. Tell me about that time. That was in my very, very early days. I, had, I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know who Phil Ninnis was, admittedly, but I hadn't a notion about drugs or anything. I didn't know what his business of drugs was, anyhow. And actually, uh, he was going on tour to America and the solicitor who was a great man, I must say, he became a High Court judge subsequently. Uh, he said to me, you know, he won't be able to get into America if you convict him. So I, anyhow, I relieved him of certain sum of money and I gave it to charity. But the funny part about it was, I, I don't know, it's within the last maybe 10 years, I was at the funeral of a, a young Garda and I met a particular Garda who came over to me after we were chatting and I hadn't seen him now for a number of years and he said, do you remember coming to me and asking me what to do with Phil Linnett? <laughs> he was in the, involved in that, the, the case. I hadn't a notion. <laughs> but, and Phil Linnett died within the next 12 to 18 months, less maybe. And I remember thinking in my innocence, could I have avoided that by putting him in prison? Mm. But as I, as I matured and learnt a lot more about the criminal elements, I realised that was the most stupid thing I could ever think of because it was up to him to do something about it. And he was too engrossed, at that, obviously, at that, at that stage. So mm. I, I pushed to bed. And you often refer, and you mentioned there, to instinct, to intuition. How did that guide you, say, when you were on the bench in the case of the paedophile priest father, Tony Walsh? That was an extraordinary case when I look back at it. Uh, he had, again, a very excellent solicitor and barrister. And he pleaded not guilty and... Uh, the the victim was a young fourteen year old boy at his at his uh, at his uh, grandfather's afters in the Silver Granite pub up in Ballyfermot. The boy came up to the witness box on my right. The priest was sitting straight ahead ahead of me. I couldn't to this day tell you what that young boy looked like. I couldn't tell you the colour of his hair. Couldn't tell you what he was wearing. I don't think I looked once at him. It must have been a terrible ordeal for that 14-year-old to have to come into court and tell a strange old woman this story. Mm. But my two eyes were fixed firmly on Tony Walsh. Mm. And actually... Tony Walsh convicted himself by his own demeanour. Interesting. Just just the way you saw him and ah. you just knew. I just knew. And the rest is history. But ironically, when I, I when I retired shor- sometime shortly afterwards, 
I did a, was doing the commission, chairing the commission for the Catholic hierarchy on sexual abuse by priests. And we went into this solicitor's office and this solicitor was talking about Tony Walsh. And I said, why do you mention Tony Walsh? We said, that was an inspired decision of yours. It's the only time I've ever heard it, and I have to tell you it. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> but he, he wanted to know how I made it. And I said, well, I, it, it didn't dawn on me. I, I should have known. It was the firm of solicitors who acted, actually, for the Catholic hierarchy. But I said to him, uh, you know, I, I, where were you? And he said, I was in the court. I said, where? He said, the back of the court. I said, that's the, that's the difference. I said, you didn't see Tony Walsh, I did. And what did your God tell you then when you came face to face with the paedophile father, Brendan Smith? Uh, awful, dreadful, shocking. I only saw him once on a night court, slouched in the dock. Obviously, he didn't, he looked like a man that didn't give a damn. Uh, I, I can't say it, but if I felt that this man would never show any remorse for anything. And I'm so glad I didn't have to see him again. You also dealt, Gillian, with the three men suspected of the killing of Veronica, Veronica Guerin. What do you remember of them? Uh, I knew them. I knew, I knew, well, I, I, knew, I knew them. But there was, a, there, was a, there was another man charged with them. And I came back in after lunch and they had obviously been brought into the courts during the lunchtime. And I was going up to my chamber, up my little tiny box room, which I had been put into at this stage. The building was falling apart. And uh, I uh, met a couple embracing where I was going to walk. And of course, there was a huge kerfuffle. The guards immediately pushed these people over. And actually, one of them was one of the... Uh, accused at the time mm. but it was funny because everybody was so embarrassed that I had come in and, and, on this and they, it shouldn't have happened and so on but they, the others were they were known to me in fact You described many of the horror cases you came across and one stood out for you who was an Warren Dumbrell Dumbrell he was a young man he was about I think he was about 12 at the time and I didn't do juvenile cases and he was arrested, actually, in Stevens Green by a Garda. And it was given, he was brought to Kevin Street, which really wasn't the station I think he should have been brought to. But anyhow, uh, he uh, was brought in and I dealt with him in chamber with his solicitor and his mother was there. And he pleaded guilty. He'd stolen an Irish flag off, gold of a flag post. And... I know that, that at the time I didn't, I didn't clue what to do with them, but I suggested, like I continued on for years doing, I suggested to the mother that we get the probation service in. Definitely not. She was adamant. I never, I never had anybody as adamant as her. So I said, OK. I, I don't know what I did with the kid, but I, I used to see the kid relatively regularly after that. Well, look, Judge Gillian Hussey, it's been a great pleasure chatting to you this morning and your memoir and your book, Lessons from the Bench, Reflections on a Career Spent in Ireland's Criminal Courts. It's a great read and it's published by Gill Books and it's available now. Thank you so much for being my guest this morning. Thank you indeed. I enjoyed that.